This is Music, Mindfulness, and Madness, uh, D. Madden, Anu Kirk. I'm Michael Haley. We have a special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself, Sarah? Um, sure. I'm Sarah Schnad. I am a, how do I describe myself? I'm a designer. I'm a system architect and engineer at NASA Jet Propulsion Lab, and I'm also an installation artist. Yeah. Yay. Okay. <laughs> Here's, here's, here's what we need for this. Here, here's, here's what we need. <laughs> All right. Where do we start? Well, Deep. It's a smattering of applause. Cheesy sound effects included yes. in the program, free of charge, Sarah. That, well, that's, there, that's, well, that's just the kind of show we are, Sarah. Yeah. Will there be laugh tracks, too? Maybe. Oh, oh, you betcha. Of course. We, have, we have a drum roll that's coming later. But, okay. Yes. Um, so I invited Sarah to be on the program. I checked it out with the other guys. Sarah is, uh, we've been, we've known each other. We met through mutual friends and have known each other for quite a long time. Talk regularly. And I'm always just blown away at the work she does. And uh, she works at, uh, is it JPL or NASA or both? What um, it's both. It's both. JPL uh, is, is a one of 10 NASA centers. Um, okay. So it's, it is NASA, but it's its own center, uh, Jet Propulsion Lab. And you personally put people on Mars. Is that correct? <laughs> I mean, in my dreams. She puts virtual motorized people on Mars. That, that's what she does, Michael. Well, I, help, I help with that process. Yeah. She helps with that process. Yes. Well, for the sake of our, you know, our listeners, I'm trying to get clarity. So, um, and we all have some connection in the past to, like my my dad was in aerospace. Anu's dad was in uh, aerospace, correct? For many things. My, uh, my grandfather was. My dad did a little bit of work uh, as a, uh, he had a summer job wiring up uh -oh. the Apollo capsules one summer, apparently. Hmm. My, my granddad was a, a, a big part of the military space program and also did a bunch of work for, um, uh, for NASA. So he I, I, I am none of those things, Sarah. I came from a, a blue collar bunch of Irish grunts. No tech to be found in my background. But they were protecting and serving. Uh, you, sure. That, that, the one that I know, the danger. Sure. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Well, great. Sarah, so great that you're here. Thank you for showing up and uh, being lovely as usual and bringing all the brains that we're going to need to make this happen because we are going on a space launch here into outer space. Okay, I'm ready. It's Sunday morning. I've had my coffee. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So you boys saw the uh, the presentation. D, you were talking about the presentation. Do you want to talk a little bit more about or ask some questions? Oh well, I watched them both. I actually watched both of them. Um, I all I so I read through everything, and then I then I saw the pictures that that you had done uh, of the art installations uh, doing uh, doing doing the line stuff. Got a lot of questions about that. Uh, doing the line stuff between the walls. Um, uh -huh. and then yeah. I, 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 there wasn't a lot of information on, on your, your artist side about, about what that was, but then I watched the videos and you, and you go into great detail talking about it. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, boy, it was the, the, the presentations are just marvelous. I, I, I got to say, it's it, 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 I read everything. It was like, okay, I, I mean, I kind of I kind of get what you do. You, you know, coming from where I come from, I I, I can kind of work out like what you have to do day to day. But it wasn't until I watched those Vimeo presentations that um, I went, I was like, oh, wow, shit. She's like me. She's, <laughs> she, she, she came into this in, in the, in a, in a, in such an oblique way, not unlike I did. Um, and she's talking about it. She's, she's openly explaining to what, what I can only assume is an audience of, of super, super nerdy PhDs and, and BSCS engineers. No, 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 nope. not that one. The, the one where I describe how I kind of translate my creative processes in art and performing to working in aerospace, that was for an experimental design and technology conference called IO. The um, other one, but I'm talking about the other one though. So oh, I watched the other, the other one. one first, the, oh, the, the I NASA see. presentation. The NASA one. That one is was for um, the Ground System Architecture Workshop, which is the international conference for people that design ground systems for aerospace. So that one so was like that was that yes, was that, that was that was this the nerdiest conference I've ever been to in my entire life. Look yes. like it. Very it looked nerdy. like it. But and even also, in that even that yeah, one, you're, you're getting into the nitty gritty details of what what you do day to day. But then you also yeah. you you work some slides in there where you were going. So I came from a performance art background, and this is these are all the things that I learned, and here's the things that I, I, I learned from what I do to to get these discovery exercises going. I, th- well, that was in that presentation, wasn't it? I might be getting no. Honest. That was that was in the other one. And one of okay. the one of the things I'm pretty careful about in like bridging worlds is when I tell what version of my story, you know, so that <laughs> you're, <laughs> so, so so you're yeah. you're touching on what I was talking to you about earlier before we started. Yeah, playing. yeah. So I'm I'm pretty mindful about which audience is interested and will kind of benefit from which version of the story. Yeah, but you did do that a little bit within within that first presentation, right? Well, I went it seemed through, like there, there was a couple the, of diagrams. There was a, there was diagrams. I in the the one from the ground system architecture workshop. I went through the design process that I used to come up with this design, right? Um, that is helping um, the science team on Mars to formally capture their science intent. They're the kind of the reasons why the observations are being taken in all mm-hmm. the tool in all the tools that they're using and in, in the data products that are coming down. So there was a pretty kind of classic design process that I use to come up with that solution. So I go through that in a lot of detail in that presentation um, with lots of, lots of diagrams. So that, so it looks like, it looks like a, like a classic design presentation in a lot of ways. It does. Um, as, a, as a result. Yeah, but it, it does. But then I'm applying it to this whole other context. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a bit where I, where I, where I first began to realize how, how much um what you do and how you came at it is was similar to me, but then but it was really drilled home when I watched the IO thing. Okay, for sure. Um, are, we, are we allowed to post those links? Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, Can we? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, so I th- even I took screenshots of some of the slides because I, I wanted to be able to look at them and, and ask ask you questions about some of them. Um. So so I wouldn't forget. Yeah, um, um. I was also I wouldn't mind getting into like if. if Sarah wants to tell a little bit of sort of like how you made the the transition in a I don't know sort of shorter version yeah. of like from uh, performance. That, that art. might be a good place to start, so that I don't take over because I have a tendency to do that. 
I'm just excited. <laughs> Dee's got a lot to say to you, Sarah. I've got, I've got, a, also, I've got a lot to say, Sarah. Well, people people might want to hear why that is, you know. <laughs> yeah, how, how did you yeah. make that transition? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I could, so, I yeah, right. Thanks, or, or I can, I so, can, well, if I, if I give some context too of what you saw, that might be useful. Should I do that? Yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead and tell us. Yeah, yeah go for it. Go okay. For it. So, um, so I started where, basically where it started. Well, how about, how far back do I go with where it started being a techie? I think like, you should start, start with, with the line, with, with the performance art stuff. And, and, and so, so here, so here's the first thing I, I I'm curious about. Okay. How, 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 how did, what was the moment where you, you thought, where you looked at a database, uh, doing the FileMaker Pro work and thought, oh, I could do something with this. And, and what did you do with it? And, and was that the first uh, step or were there anything, was there any other thing that happened in your path that, well, I've, that happened I've been before a, I've, that? I've, I've identified as a techie in some form, basically since I think the earliest it happened was in high school when I was a theater lighting tech and got really interested okay. in like, hanging lights and figuring out this, the, the lighting board. So that's where I started. And then I, when I was in undergrad, I had a college work study job as an AV tech. So that was very nerdy and super technical and it all analog at that point. One of us. One yeah, of absolutely. Us. Totally. Yeah. I was, so I was like setting up, setting up so PA systems, running projectors, stuff like that. Um, Twiddling knobs and pressing buttons. I love Exactly, it. exactly. Yeah. Like with lighting, I also did a lot of theater tech in, in college too. Um, and and then uh, in, in a graduate school, I um, I had a job at a performance art magazine. I was did a master's in performance art. And I guess I was always interested in, uh, when in doubt, be interdisciplinary. Um, because growing up, I was really interested in several arts disciplines. And then I... Undergrad, I, I, I ended up doing a special major combining sculpture and dance, So, which is why performance art. I thought, oh, well, under that umbrella, they'll let me continue to experiment with how these two things relate to each other, um, which I think is, is one of my primary interests, is, is how finding ways that different disparate practices relate to each other. Um, and then when I was in, in graduate school in performance art, I, I had the had the lackey job at the performance art magazine to send out the magazine, the physical magazine, which meant mm-hmm. I had my my hands on the database just so I could print out all the labels. And I got I just got really fascinated with the database. Um, and I started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I started. I have a story like that too. I, yeah. I have a similar story like that. <laughs> yeah, I started. I started like adjusting it, making the the views better, improving the queries to pull out the the the, the name sets that we needed because the place also had several programming areas and a gallery. So even just getting the right list was a whole thing. So and then from there, I like I did a a, a, a brief a brief thing like um, uh, I was working the the fellowship review when when I was graduating and they didn't have a database. So I'd learned enough from just playing around with the one previously that I just made one to make make my own job easier to do this mm-hmm. to re- review all the applications. And then it just kind of evolved See, from this there. This is something that <laughs> I tell like my kids work. all the yeah. time. And when, when my kids were in high, so my kids are, are grown up; they're old people now. When they were kids, <laughs> they are. When they were kids. Um, and they were signing up for classes in school and, and the, and the, the, the HTML class came up and, and they would say, I'm not really, you know, I don't want to be like you, dad. I'm not into that, that stuff. I go, just, just do it because someday you're going to be in a room where everyone's going to be looking at each other and they go, okay, we got to stand up an internet. Does anybody know how to do this? You can be the person in the room that raises your hand. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, so any, yeah. So that, that's something I, I always try to impart upon my kids too. You, you might, you might not see the use in it at that point in time when you're taking that class you don't want to take, but trust me, something's going to happen. You're, there's going to be a moment. There's going to be an opportunity where yeah. you get to, you get to make use of it anyway. Yeah. And I, I didn't think that it related to my art practice for a long time. I was just doing it along in parallel with my art practice, but I was trying to do it within the art world so that I would be building connections for my art career whilst I was getting paid at my day job, as I thought of it at the time. Um, and then a few years later, when I was uh, overseeing the development of a um, citywide arts resource and opportunity website through the Department of Cultural Affairs in Chicago, which um, I like, I built a, a, a similar littler thing for the art school where I went for their career center. So then they hired me to build, build a city scale version and also oversee web enabling it. Um, at that point, I started going to a lot of tech conferences because I realized I, I didn't, I that reached a limit to what I could teach myself. So I was like, I need to learn stuff. So I got, I got them to send me this to co tech conferences and it, it was like a really exciting moment in the open source movement. And it was really inspiring to go to these different open source tech conferences and just hear, hear these like incredible things that were starting to happen. And then, um, then I started to want to make art about that because it was just incredible. And I was seeing it, seeing all these things happen firsthand, particularly around web 2.0 and kind of the, this kind of groundswell of like communal authorship of, of, of the internet, which was amazing at the time, like in like 2006, 2007. So and, what, what, what yeah. conferences were you going to out of curiosity? Um, I went to the nonprofit technology enterprise network network conference for a bunch of years because it, it it was the one that lined up most closely with what I was doing, um, and uh, ended up doing panels there a lot because that's how I would get is like sing for my supper. Then they they'd pay for me to go if I did a sure. panel, so then yeah. I'd meet more people because I did a panel. Um, and there was a lot of people. There was a lot of like um, open source, open source like hacker activist amazing people who were like they'd be the ones sitting in the hallway scheming the next open source <laughs> language you know no so i mean actually that's get, a thing yeah. that's very much yeah, a thing yeah. that happens at those you, conferences it's yeah. really really cool and then yeah and then they there was this one that was started in um in chicago because i was you know in chicago at the time um called ord camp o-r-d like for the the, the airport code for o'hare um that was kind of like modeled off of food camp which was done in the bay area which is foo is like stand in for like any code goes here kind of it's like a little expression that means that and um and they the people who there's like some people from google engineering and from a couple other like big startups chicago-based startups did an invitation only tech innovators unconference and they I, I was invited to be part of that and that was just like the the gathering in the hallway but then the whole thing was that like so, just like all these amazing people, just those like are the best. Yeah, I went to a few out. like that. There was, yeah. a, there was a, a little thing like that that what used to happen in Seattle, um, up by Key Arena, that that area in front of Key Arena, that they had these little informal things like that, and th those were so fun to go to. Just so inspiring and just exciting. It felt like like one of the founders of Kickstarter was one of the regulars. Got to wow, no, him right when it was starting, you know, and and um. Dean Kamen came in and spoke to us one time, which is amazing, who is an incredible inventor. He invented the Segway and also the, the first um, automatic um, insulin machine and oh, many, cool. many, many other things. Like hearing him talk was incredible. Um, also, I, I heard, 
that the moment when people stopped calling themselves information architects and started calling themselves UX designers saw that moment coming a couple of years before it became mm, you know, mainstream yeah, by going to true. that conference regularly, stuff like that. It, wa- um, it wasn't a thing for the longest time. That, yeah. And then yeah, it was. And, yeah. And, and then um, it was, that's true. And so, so just being part of those moments was very exciting for me. Um, and then I started wanting to make art about it because uh, I try and describe it to my artist friends and they would just glaze over. They just, didn't understand why it was exciting, and they thought, and and they thought it was. I can't tell you how many times I, I talk about the fact that 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 same thing happened to me. So so something I figured out over time is is that I could let one feed the other, and vice versa. Yeah. So how did that, how did that for work example, for you? Yeah. For example, uh, a good example of this, uh, um, Anu does some of this too. Kanban boards. I manage uh-huh. I manage all my album projects as a, uh, on a Kanban board, and then when we started this this podcast. I was like, hey man, let's let's stand up a Trello board for that, so we can just throw ideas on it, and uh, and you know, a, as we prioritize things and, and move into like like, hey, this is the thing we should do for the next episode. Let, let's move it around, and um, just applying. I, I, I've I've said many times, I feel like I could I could write a book for musicians on agile practices for album project management, mm-hmm. because because one, as soon as I figured out how much um, how the, all of the, the problems that just, just plain old agile practices solved for me in, in yeah. trying to write and self-produce, a, um, an album. It's like for me, like, like, uh, Anu and, and Michael both too, like we, we write and record and we play everything ourselves. So when you, and when you do something like that, it's, it, it gets to be kind of, it gets to be hard to manage everything in your head, like where you left off with that thing. And where you need to pick up with that thing, and and it turned out the thing that really worked for me was just just making it an agile project, you mm-hmm. know, just just a, applying Kanban practices to um, to just to, to to be mindful of where I'm at, where I need to go. And as soon as I did that, like it just it, I was be, I was completing things like quickly, and and I was able to like kind of figure out like when things were going to be done because because I was doing you know just applying all the same estimating rules and, and whatnot. And I just and I continue to do things like that. Yeah, we we call those. So that's one example. We call those post-its where I come from. Post-its. A big board with a whole bunch of post-its on a wall. Well, push. Sarah did that. Sarah did that too. She she had a she had a really great picture of a discovery session on a whiteboard with a bunch of post-its on. I was like, (laughs) yeah, so great. <laughs> you can you can do a Kanban board like that too. There's a great scene you in um, Silicon Valley where they institute uh, agile with with a, a whiteboard with with um, post its. Yep. Yeah. It's also it's, also it's, very- it's a it's a really great episode where they start doing agile. It's really fun. <laughs> oh, Silicon Valley. The Sil- yeah, Silicon Valley. Yeah, the show. Yeah, 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 what, yeah, there, yeah, there's there's yeah, an yeah. episode dedicated to when they That's start right, doing agile. Is. Yeah, and it's it's so funny because it, the 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 pain points that caused them to do it are pretty hilarious. Like how far astray they were before they start doing it. <laughs> that that yeah. the the one that would always come up with me, like when that 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 show was going off, a uh, business the, the business guys uh, would come to me sometimes and go, "Hey nerd, do you watch Silicon Valley?" I go, "No," because I I didn't really watch it that much. I mean, I kind of knew uh, I, I watched a few episodes, but I knew enough about it because you know I I was around a lot of. Um, people on my team at the time that were obsessed with it, and th- and they looked at me for a minute and they go, "Tabs or spaces?" <laughs> yep. There's that episode. There's this episode where the main character breaks up with his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over over yeah. tabs tabs or spaces in your code. Yep. Yeah, yep. and it's I really and funny. I said I said spaces, yeah. and I and, I, and then <laughs> I I got I got into a very 
I, I talked the guy's ear off. He's like, you, 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 you be careful what you ask for. So yeah. and I, I went on an epic jag about spaces over tabs. And he was like, oh, yeah, well, this is episode. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's basically the spinal tap of the the tech community. Totally. Half of the time you're totally. laughing because it's hilarious. And the other half of the time you're like, that actually happened to me. And it wasn't very funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for, for being here today. Uh, I have uh, a bunch of questions myself, but I, I might start off with basically saying, you know, it is unusual to find somebody uh, such as yourself who is kind of equally divided between the world of art and the world of science or, or you know, sort of being productive and working in a more technologically oriented field, right? Most of us end up being sort of hobbyists in, in one area or the other. Um, I'm curious, first of all, like at what point did you sort of realize you wanted to do both of these things? Or did you sort of think, well, I'll probably do one and the other will be a hobby. But was there a, a particular moment in your life where you were like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do both of these things actively. And, and do you find as you were moving forward, uh, that it is more difficult to maintain this kind of dualism uh, versus just sort of collapsing towards one or the other? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it happened very late for me. Um, <laughs> for many years, I really thought of my work in tech as, as, as the day job that, you know, over time it, I would work less and less and I would make more and more art. And, and that I was basically leveraging everything I could in the job for my art and like using it as a resource, a resource for research for my art. Um, I did, you know, until I stopped working in the arts, it, it did really help my art network to be doing the work I was doing in technology in the arts. Um, and then um, for several years after I left the, left the arts, when I moved to LA just over 10 years ago, I started working outside of the arts for the first time um, because I just needed to earn more money in LA than I did in Chicago. Um, and also I was getting bored because I was, my curiosity started to like push the edges of like, what else could I do with this? Where, what are other worlds I could kind of engage with, with this work, which ended up being extremely exciting, but even still, it was still like a, a novelty and it was still my day job basically for several years more until basically until five years ago when I started working at JPL. Um, and I, um, I just was so inspired by what, what, what's being done there and the, the kinds of complex problems I got to think about in the work, um, like day to day that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't think of it as just a day job anymore. Um, and I started to just find that I was getting engaging creative parts of myself in the work that I hadn't hadn't engaged in in technology work before, um, and that was initially was really um, disorienting for me because I I had always identified I'm an artist that's where my creative calling is, and then I do this tech stuff, and 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 I found that I was experiencing the work um, at at JPL as, as a calling also, and as this moving, inspiring, motivating thing that was starting to use that part of me and actually causing me to not to wonder, well, maybe I'm just translating that all into the technology work. Um, so for a little while there, I thought that's what's happening. Um, but then I, I, um, 
for a couple of reasons, I realized that that wasn't really what was happening. One was that I just kept drawing and I just kept drawing and I wanted to draw the kind of mind forms that were helping me, like the, the images in my head that weren't helping me understand what I was learning, as well as the processes of moving from one mission to another mission and various other things. I just found myself drawing my way through everything and then just wanting to keep drawing. Um, uh, but then also I got to a point with this architecture project where this one I was talking about for, for capturing science intent, where I realized that like, it wasn't going to work for me to have that be my sole source of creative kind of good, good energy because this, the time scale of, of the projects um, at JPL are so long that you're, it's just too long after the really creative part before there's another one, you know, the like, the implementation and the troubleshooting and then the like, it's like well, years of, of, it's just of years planning, planning, right? It's like years. Yeah. So you're, so you like so, the, re- so the that part's re- not at all. Like, like what, what I end up doing Not at for, all. for for us, like the big stuff is months, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and not years. All, all, all the software projects I'd done previously were the same thing. Like big projects are six months max, whereas a big project at JPL is a multi-year project. And so the really creative part is maybe the first couple of years and then like this science intent architecture, I've been working on it for three years. And really the first year was very, very creative. And then six months of mad, you know, madcap troubleshooting and figuring out how to make everything work before our big deadline of landing on Mars. And then just pure implementation uh, problem solving since then, just like, yeah. So, so I realized I needed to have other creative outlets other than this architecture work that I've started doing. Um, and, and also I just have found that I'm, I, I just, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be that cut and dried. Oh, I do this now. It could be, well, no, actually I'm just still both, you know, the, the, the big challenge though is, is the time and energy, um, to do both. And I, I haven't done a big installation art project, uh, since 2013. So it's, it's, um, it's been a while. Um, yeah, I, I, I certainly understand how particularly as we get older and uh, as you ratchet up the stakes in both your professional career and your artistic career, it, it does get more difficult to kind of get these things done. Uh, would, would you mind telling us a little bit about like where you're from and, and oh, sure. family history and things like that? Um, I grew up in northern Scotland on an intentional community. Um, new age intentional community in Scotland. Um, my parents are American and moved there, basically moved there when I was a baby. Um, I have two younger siblings. One is in Scotland and the other is here in the US. Um, and uh, I came back to the US in my mid teens and have been back here ever since then. Um, so, yeah. so you were in Chicago. Did you, did you, did you go straight to Chicago when you, when you came to the States? No, um, my family lived in Western Massachusetts and I was there through undergrad, okay. like junior, uh-huh. basically junior high through undergrad. And then I moved, I moved to Chicago to go to the school of the art Institute in Chicago and ended up staying there for like 17 years. Stayed there. Yeah. A really long time. Wow. And then I did the, the classic thing that artists do in Chicago. Well, it just took me a lot longer <laughs> than many is like once you feel like you've outgrown that it's a very incubator emerging artist scene there um, it, rather than like a, a, a big leagues art scene. Um, it really is not. So t- artists tend to like grow there and then either go to New York or LA. And I right. always thought I when it. I was 
yeah, I always thought when I was ready, I'd go to New York. But when the time came, I realized I actually knew less about LA and it would be more of a, I just expand my world more if I went to LA just because it was as an urban space, unlike anything I'd experienced before. And that, and that, that would be a, a much more interesting thing. than. Oh, I could see York. that. Yeah. Sure. Cause New York is just like a denser Chicago. You know, it's, that That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'd already spent a lot of University of Chicago, where fun goes to die. Oh, no, <laughs> oh come on now! Really? Chicago's that cool. That's the informal, the informal motto of the school. Is it really? I loved you, yes, Chicago. Yes, it has one of the highest suicide rates of college, any college oh. or university yes, in the United but States. But it, 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 really interesting. It, it, I mean, it's a very high-powered, like high-pressure kind of place. But it's also, it's oh. like um, they have, like, I went to college. I went to college early, and I went to a school called Simon's Rock of Bard and U of Chicago has the first early college program in the country like before it predates any of the other ones I don't know exactly how old it is but um anyway Chicago did me well it was great um and I you know stayed for a really long time as yeah Um, so so were you 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 one of those those kids that uh that just kept testing above and above and above and when, when did you like how old were you when you when you started going there did did you just test out uh, test out of the public school system and land in there? Sort, at a young sort age? of. Uh, yeah, I went to I, I left home and went to college when I was fifteen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, I I was testing out. I was just very bored in my classes, doing all my homework on the bus, you know. Um, and I had just moved to the U.S. and the system was different. And I was the classes I was in in the U.K where I'd only been in the U.S. for two years. And I, I didn't adjust well to being in, in uh, American high school after being in secondary school in Scotland. And the, the, just the, the level of the classes was more, at that age, was just it was more demanding than the classes I was in in the U.S. So it was kind of a combination of all of those things. Hmm. So you survived, the de- you survived Chicago not killing you, that school, that's a miracle. So you're a walking miracle. Let's start there. <laughs> oh, stop. Well, you too. You know, there's, there's for, for people that there's aren't from LA, surviving winter isn't actually that big a deal. It's actually it's not, time. I'm not talking about something. <laughs> I'm talking about oh, okay. some really good things to dig into here. Uh, so you mentioned you had two siblings. Are either of them uh, artistic or creative? And were your parents artistic or creative? Where, where do you think your love of, of art came from? Um, neither of my siblings are artistic. My sister, um, for many years was a journalist and now went back to school to get an MS in environmental policy and now works at an environmental startup on the island of Orkney, which is a international center for wind and sea technology because of the intense wind and sea there. So it's this tiny little village that has amazing scientists from all over the world studying and like doing test versions of various innovative ecological things. So that's what she does. And then my brother works in tech and he's a UX researcher um, and he works for Meta. So he's in, he's in, he's in San Francisco. um, Okay. Doing the like classic, he's been there, like he's been doing like the classic black, but not black box, big box tech. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, and has kind of he's, he worked at Google and then Amazon and now he's at Facebook. So he's he's trying them all out. Got to um, collect them all. <laughs> um, and kind of enjoying the adventure of, of that. Um, 
and yeah and let me think oh from from where we came from um um there wasn't anyone who was obviously an artist from our from our parents and my brother has a different mother but from our father um and from my sister and my mother um there's our our grandmother was artistic but didn't really fully realize she was a, a musician she was an opera singer when she was younger um um my father um was kind of a an untrained informally trained engineer and he was a very talented uh master builder he built some incredible buildings and also worked helping to invent or he he invented a solar panel and had a solar panel business in in um, northern scotland um and so he my my technical aptitude i think comes somewhat from him as well as my grandfather was also an engineer but the, the art side i think is more of a nurture a little bit because the commune itself was very um very into the arts and we were very there was always uh, workshops going on and exhibits and people performing there's a beautiful art center there so i grew up uh performing and making art and kind of being included in various really fun even like adult activities so any child that was interested could just join in and um be part of any sort of artistic activity that you wanted to be part of so that i think had a huge impact on me becoming an artist and also just feeling validated for that side of my aptitude set i was really only ever validated for that side of it not from the others for the other side at all interesting yeah. and yeah. and so was there from your perspective do you credit the raising in that environment for primarily for your becoming an artist or was there a moment where you had some kind of experience with a particular work and you were like i, I want to do that um I, it it was it was kind of a little bit of both i was really focused on learning how to draw even before i knew how to talk I was just really, and I just was conspicuously ahead of my my peers as a child in in my ability to draw, um, and just was very focused on it. It was also a kind of a a refuge for me from the kind of some of the chaos of my upbringing a little bit. Like it, it was a very lovely environment, but it had its chaos, and also there was. Um, well, I think there's know. a reason that those yeah. types of environments are not mainstream and that they tend to produce people who are exceptional along some kinds of metrics, right? It is a demanding and unusual environment and not, not every kid is resilient uh, enough to come out of it uh, in, in, the, in the sort of strong path that you did. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it has I often, its strengths uh, and its weaknesses, yeah. On the show, I often talk about how for me that that resonates for me big time. I, I often talk about how, how music was a place for me to hide because I grew yeah. up in a lot of chaos too. And and the one thing I learned at a very young age was the people around me creating the chaos didn't understand music. And as long as I stuck my head in it, nobody, everybody left me alone, which was nice. So it was my haven. A little refuge there. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. I would hide in it, but then also it was the way people would understand me. Like mm. it, it felt safe, a safe way to interface with the world um, for me. I get it. I get it. So I guess I'd, I'll ask the obvious question of this connection to, I mean, it's, and Sarah and I talk all the time, so I'm just kind <laughs> of trying to keep my mouth shut mostly. <laughs> and um, did you ever have a moment? Uh, I know you have them now because you've told me before, but like, staring at the sky going like, huh, I wonder, 
you know, like, could I put a thing up there or like be part of that? You know, was there ever a, a calling to space specifically? Like science, obviously, <laughs> as science and art work together, you know, hand in hand. They're, they're, it, they're kind of the same thing in their own ways because you really, you're problem solving with this sort of intention to do a certain thing. Yeah. But do you ever have a specific thing about space where you're like, Man, you know, because some people just have that calling from, uh, uh, you know, childhood where they're just like, it's all about space. They're just fascinated by it. The stars, you know, that whole sort of like the mystery of it all and um, the science of it. Did you have a moment where you were like, yeah, space is the place. Well, well let me, I'll let, I'd like to put a finer point on that. Yeah. How did, how did the startup come about? How did the startup opportunity come about? Like there must have been something involved with with that that was like that was either like oh I did this thing and it, and this is the ne- ne- next logical thing or you had a champion how did that, how did that ha- how did that come to be how did what come to be the startup that you went to work for a startup initially for a long time that, that's what I saw on the LinkedIn profile there was there was a startup you worked at for a while before you went to JPL oh yes that you was mean, doing map did... stuff and that yeah that, I mean that looked to me like like the first like yeah. legit thing you started to work on that kind of led to JBL. And I'm guessing that was kind of the moment where you went, Oh, I can do that. And this might be a thing. Cause that, um, that was, th- those were space projects too, weren't they? Yep. It's an aerospace startup. Yep. Yeah. Um, near earth orbit. So a little different in its focus, but very okay. much, just very much aerospace. Um, um, it wasn't then. It, okay. that, that wasn't when I, okay. I, um, I, I really, um, I never thought about space in that way you described, Michael, of like wanting to work in space, like from a young age or anything. Although I think it was like a latent interest. Like I've always loved sci-fi. My favorite film is Contact and it has been for a long time. Yeah. Absolutely love that film. I've seen it many, many times. It's a great times. movie. I've seen it many <laughs> times too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it was just, I just thought it was something I loved. Um as opposed to something I was going to do or work in. And I, I, um, when I went to work at planet, my interest in it was really more in terms of the civic data set they were producing. Cause I'd been working, oh. working on civic data sets for several previous projects. And it was really inspired by and motivated and identified with working on projects that uh, use technology to enable widespread access to meaningful data sets that would make the world a better place. So I've done that several times over at that point. And yeah. It looked like you, yeah. you were doing a lot that you got really, really into map overlays, like, like finding uh, data to, to overlay on, onto maps to, as a way, well, as a means to, not, I, I hope I'm not being too reductive, but, but I, I saw a lot it's, of it's, it's not so much about maps as it is about um, data visualization. Um, right. Okay. And using, using a visual language to help people, understand the patterns in a data set that would be really exciting and meaningful that maybe they wouldn't be able to see into in another way. And maps is a very common way to do that, but there's other kinds as well. Sure. Um, sure. And I, I got interested in data visualization through research for an earlier art installation project that I did. So that's, I ended up discovering data visualization through that. What was that? um, (laughs) It was a project I did um, that was inspired by being at these, these open source conferences and this incredible moment of web 2.0. I talk about it a little bit at the beginning of the, the IO talk that you uh, mentioned where right. um, I did a performance where I built the internet in a museum over a month. Um, just that to was kind pretty of, neat. 
just to emphasize the idea that we we this is now a DIY space. Isn't this amazing? So so I I, I built this structure that re- referenced the internet. It took many many hours over you know several weeks, um, and I had the whole thing mapped to on one side a data visualization of. Uh, um, internet access all over the world. So you could kind of understand where, where, where are the access points and where are they clustered? Like, and how equitable are they across the world? So I did a ton of research and then visualized on a, on a map where exactly all the main hubs are um, and who has what distribution of IP addresses. So and then, I got- And then you use that to, you use that as, as a basis to translate it to a physical space? Yeah, so I so out? so it was like so it was like the installation was almost like coming out of the map. So all the places uh, that are where you can get on the internet were the the ends of the installation were attached to the wall, and then it came out of the wall with all these branching um, wire shapes that were based on a visualization that I found that was kind of algorithmically mapping the surface of the internet. Mm. the surface of the internet so so i got really into data data viz from that one and then i start i realized oh maybe i could work in data viz so i started working in data viz and then i got interested in data viz for really meaningful uh, civic projects so for example i worked on this project that made census data available to reporters to use more effectively in their stories and developed the design for an interface for exploring census data using data visualization. I also did uh, designed a tool for a company that um, uh, makes tools for machine learning for scientists for their giant science data sets. Um, and I developed after kind of making a bunch of visualization interfaces, I then uh, designed a tool for other people for scientists to make big, their- like big NIST database stuff. Yeah, like well, like like um, all different kinds of uh, you know, lots of different kinds of uh, databases. Just any kind of very large data set that is no longer human readable because it's just too big. Basically. Got it. Um, Interesting. That, that scientists find themselves um, having to engage with these days because of the, the the power of the tools that they use now. So so uh, so I, I'd gotten really into like visualization and making data sets that are meaningful to people's lives more accessible. And so from there, when I came across, I was doing some, I was doing a job search and I came across, I came across um, this company planet, which was at the time was called planet labs. Planet, That's the name of the company. Yeah. They shortened their name now, but at the time they were called planet labs. Um, I came across them in a list of like the coolest companies of that year in 2016 in fast company. Uh, like a fast company, you know, they make those lists. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, uh, and I was just like, Oh, I like space. That was the extent of the aha moments. Like, Oh, I like space. <laughs> Let's check that out. Space <laughs> is cool. I love space, but mostly I was interested because of what they were doing with data. The data, um, it's more of the data viz stuff. It was really more about the data. Probably very Dataviz, exciting. The data yeah. viz and like how this was a completely new kind of data. It was kind of like, um, it, it, do you remember Google earth? And like, it was oh, really, course. really hard for people to navigate Google Earth at first because it was just dizzying yes. to like zoom in on the planet and then move around and make sense of where you are. <laughs> but mm-hmm. then if you imagine adding the axis of time to that as well, that was the design problem that there, that, that there was to solve with planets data set. It's because like you could move across the whole surface for today, but that on any spot on the Earth, you could also go forward and backwards in time because mm. that's what that's the data set that they made was 
the entire surface of the earth um, every day and right. then do change detection on deforestation or on crop, crop health, um, um, track climate change, things like that. So then I end up also working there on a, uh, like a prototype for a machine learning based interface for like change detection as well on that data set. So I got, I was, it was a data thing for me, but once I was there, they have a, they had a ton of aerospace people there working there, um, that they like ex NASA people. And a planet was founded by, um, two ex NASA Ames aerospace engineers. Um, um, so, so it had this culture of, uh, kind of, this is how we're doing it differently from, from, uh, traditional aerospace and this is how we want to be innovative and experimental and so and you know we we'd have launch parties there um (laughs) which involved it was like this really grassroots charming vibrant exciting place and there'd be it was it was a party in the big common area with like this giant table where there was communal a, a communal pancake station where everyone was making pancakes together it was like their ritual and like um with like balloons and like it just it was just very festive and people would get so excited and watching these people who understood the um like like propulsion engineers and um various kinds of uh, uh like um, mechanical engineers for spacecraft as well as propulsion and navigation engineers they had they had people working there that i was standing next to who had those skill sets watching them watch a launch like we all stopped everything for the day oh that just the, had the, to be thrilling yeah that the had first, to be so thrilling I, i'm yeah the, my, yeah, my, my yeah yeah it's just it's just really it was, elevated it was, as you're talking it was about just this. like so exciting like the first time it happened was like it was three in the afternoon and everyone stopped work I, I don't know like maybe it wasn't three but in any case it was sometime in the middle of the day and spacex was doing their first their first launch and then re-landing for the very first time of that rocket that perfectly landed. that rocket by, yeah that could land yeah. by itself right and and everyone was just flipping out and it was so exciting to just that was so nuts to yeah. watch for the first it was time so even exciting. for me like from where i sat yeah. like that was just that was like it was like a cartoon it was like watching it's a so incredible it's like is this so really crazy. happening no no yeah. this is this this is a this is like a little puppet version of a thing like nuts, re-landing. this can't be real yeah it was so incredible. for the first time was nuts yeah yeah so so then i i basically got hooked on aerospace being there <laughs> um it was because i who wouldn't it was just really exciting and and also found that there's things that i could actually do in aerospace which was another part of making it be something I, I would become interested in to even know that that was something I could do. Uh, so, so that was, that was, a, that was a very uh, eye opening, transformative experience working there. It was great. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. So at some point, so you, so you, you, you developed this interest in databases and yep. at some point you had to, you had to, uh, uh, presumably you had to learn some foundational stuff. Like you had to learn, um, things like third normal form and, and what a relational database looks like and what a normalized relational database looks like. And, and you had to learn things like NoSQL technologies, the different query languages. How did, did you start from a place of just thinking about the problem in the esoteric sense and then and then just back into trying to figure out how to map the problem in your head to learning the the database tech or was it happening in parallel how did how did that work out um it happened like over a course i i was 
freelancing making databases for different arts organizations over a bunch of years. And the thing that I found that I was good at was learning what their processes were and what their use cases were and then understanding what the relational data design needed to be. Like how, uh-huh. many, how many tables are there and right. how do they, what are their relationships? Um, sure. And I just, I did a bit of studying of relational database design to help with that. But it was always like every step of the way with my work in technology, it's been like, there's something. Just, just to, learning enough to, yeah, to, get, I just, to get past that I just that need game. to do, it's like, I need right. to do this thing. There's something I need to learn a bit more about to do this next thing. And so I just learn about it and then practice it a ton in different contexts. So, uh, and I, I, um, I mean, that, that's, that yeah. is the way that all good software engineers do it. This is something, because I'm a mentor in my job, and this is something I talk about quite a bit in my job, that I don't know everything. I just know how to learn. Exactly. You know? And I just know being how to able learn. to learn, like, I'm a really contextual learner, too. So Same. it actually helps me to have something very specific I want to do, and then fig- just figure out how to do it. That's, that's really what it comes down to for me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, same for me. Same for me. It's a, I think it's the same. I, I have that experience with music too. Is you know, they're sort of like that's the strange thing about music is that you know, as soon as you say you know oh, I want to write a song, you have a problem to solve because you already have like a, a hole there of like okay here's the bucket that you're going to put the song in. What are all the parts? And like I know just enough to get into trouble, <clears throat> and then start to learn as I go. And I know that for the rest of us, it's like that too, where we have a, a concept for a record or a song or, or anything like that, or a sound like Anu. Just oh, no the- question. The stuff that Sarah's talking about. Yeah. Totally. That, that all comes, that spatial thinking comes from the totally the same place for me. Yeah. It's, 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 interesting. It's, yeah. I've got, I've got a song in my head. I have an idea and, mm-hmm. and it starts, it starts to, to co- coalesce. And as it does, I go, okay, well. This is probably gonna need gonna need drums, or maybe it doesn't need drums. Maybe it's an, up, an upright bass and an acoustic guitar. And what does that sound like? And mm-hmm. I start thinking about that in my head, and, and then I go, okay, well, I got to pick up an acoustic guitar at some point. Do I need a? Do I need? Uh, am I going to stick an ebo on it? Am I going to play it with a pick? Am I going to finger pick? And then and then the same thing with a bass. Like, it does is an electric bass going to work on this, or is an upright bass going to work? Yeah, does, a, does it make more sense to have a Moog bass? Is 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 texturally that gonna that gonna work better with and, with the overall timbres? You know, to to the ear. Like so, so I start start thinking about things that way, and and then it turned turned out like just like you were saying, Sarah, in, in like your I/O presentation, all of that stuff ends up kind of mapping to software development. You know, <clears throat> to tech, it's <clears throat> it's 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 the same kind of thinking. Yeah, it, it maps to visual art too. The way I was trained and the way sure. a lot of visual artists work is to really, really work at, on the level of a concept and then just learn whatever te- technical yeah. things you need to to realize the concept, basically. <laughs> so you're just like always acquiring new skills in order to just realize whatever the idea is that you have. Yeah. Was there were, were there points where... so? It took, so so for me, it took me a long time to get to that place. I, I I went for years of feeling very like someone sitting me down and going, "Okay, you're gonna have to learn C sharp now. You're gonna have to learn. You're gonna have to learn some SQL. You're gonna have to learn. Oh, you're gonna have to learn O SQL now because Oracle SQL is a little bit different from T SQL." Um, and I would uh, for for the longest time, I would get very daunted 
by all of it and, and feel and, and always have that overwhelming feeling like, oh, I've got to go take some classes before I even try to do this. <clears throat> but over time, I, I I got to the place you're talking about. It, it it didn't happen at first, though. It didn't happen straight away for me. It was it, it was uh, it, it uh, I didn't have the confidence, and my mind would always go to, "Oh, I need to take a class. I can't I can't just sit down and figure this out." Did you did you ever have moments like that, or did it just all did, was the thinking was the approach and the thinking just always kind of consistent that way? Um. It's happened in various times. Um, I I ended up kind of flirting with learning to code several times and then deciding to not use that opportunity cost on that versus other things I wanted to be doing and instead collaborating with software engineers and learning how to collaborate really well with software engineers. I started doing that when I was it's at Chicago Artists, Chicago Artists Research. Yeah, I... I I, and, I, and then I tried again. I take a class a couple of years later, and again I'd be like, "This is really interesting," but I'm just more fascinated with these other things. And I know, like learning any language, you have to do it all the time to keep it up. And so yeah. I, I just was like, and after a while, I accepted. Okay, I think I just really like being the bigger picture person and collaborating well, and really respecting the skills of a software engineer. So, um, and then that, that's something that became just the way that I work with software. And, and I understand enough to make that collaboration work well. To be able to talk to them without saying like the, the analog that we always talk about is, 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 is someone coming into uh, having a mix for somebody and they go, well, can you make my, my voice sound like water? <laughs> I, I no, I can't, but I've got this Valhalla reverb and I can yeah. adjust the diffusion and I can set the decay to a point where like, and I can play around with it until it sounds like water to you. But I'm just playing around with, you know, and over time, I mean, that doesn't, it, it's the same kind of, kind of gripe. So it's cool that, that you recognize that, um, it, it, to collaborate effectively, you had to know, you have, you had to learn how to walk the walk and talk the talk a little bit. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I, I can also relate in that uh, I pretty early on decided that it was more fun to imagine what the computer program would do or figure out what it needed to do than to actually make it do that yeah you know? and so yeah, I, yeah. I do a similar thing where it's like you know i'm fairly technical but um i'm much more interested in imagining the the needs of the program or like filling out that level of detail and then giving it to someone who's actually able to to build it or implement it yeah exactly like and it's played out in larger scales for me that like liking to be just a little bit more meta than the most detailed implementation that that kind of position in the abstraction space of the work has continued to kind of play out for me as I've worked on larger scale projects working at NASA. And sometimes I question it a little bit. And I had a moment of that recently and was talking to my friend whose house I'm staying in right now, who is an architect. And she was just like, no, Sarah, it's like, you're the architect. You just don't want to be the con the contractor. That's true. <laughs> and I was that's like, true. Oh, right. I, I, okay. That, yeah. That's that that's, that's, the yeah. <laughs> that's true. And, yeah. and, and it, it I, I think it is something that is common among people who do this kind of work. You sort of have these moments of like, I don't really do anything. The people who are sitting there going clackety, 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 they're the ones that are really doing stuff. Yeah, right? that's that's what I feel like yeah. more often than not anymore. Being a staff engineer, like you don't really get to write a lot of code anymore. I spend most of my days um, talking through problems with other people and then, show, and then, and then pairing with them and showing them, showing them what to do. But I don't get to write a lot of code myself anymore. So at sometimes it does feel like I'm not like what, 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 what am I doing? You know, 
And I, people have to tell me, like, no, 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 that I wouldn't have done that. What's sort of yeah. like the, you know, the conductor in the orchestra? I mean, you know. It is. If you yeah, have it a, is, yeah. someone who's conducting and there's no orchestra, totally. there's, there's no yeah, music. same thing. It's like, he's got the music in his head and he can hear it. But for the performance sake, you know, like, what's the, what's the problem you're really trying to solve? And, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Because there's a lot of times where I do a lot of technical work and I have an, enough technical knowledge to, like, get things done. And sometimes I have to sort of hack through things to, like, uh, learn them and then figure them out because I don't want to hire someone to do it or I'm interested enough that I'm like, no, I want to figure this out. This is too super interesting. Kind of like the code, you know, uh, like writing code. It's like, do am I fascinated by it? Yeah. Do I want to learn how to write code? Not really. You know, do I want to like learn how to play castanets? Yeah. I would probably like learn how to do that. <laughs> you know, yeah, that like, sounds fun. Yeah, like, you know, I can go down the street and I can buy some castanets and like watch some videos and learn how to do it. But well, that's, uh, you know, it's it's stuff. funny you say that because I, I think I'm going to need a castanet player for uh, for this 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 uh, band See, I'm, I'm going to have to put that's together. That's how it works. My gifts record. are coming to bear. Michael, right on I the need podcast. the castanets. We're going to solve this problem. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, for bringing that to us today. <laughs> no <laughs> problem. No problem. <laughs> But, but, so just, Sarah, but just, oh, I, I just wanted to go back to the, the imposter syndrome oh, yeah. question sure. that you're having. Yeah. The, the time when I re- really, when it really hit me was when I started working at JPL. Um, oh, I'll, man, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. I yeah. couldn't even, I, yeah. I, my, my, I would have a lump in my throat the, just the whole time. So, yes. so were, so were the people yeah. like good about making you feel at ease? Like what was the culture like initially? Um, it's a culture where ideas are more important than everything else. They're more important than emotional affect. They're more, more important than group dynamics or small talk or politics or, so in a way that's really comforting. It's, it's very simple. It's, and it's, there's a lot of meritocracy of like people, whoever is having a reasonable idea, but the, um, the number of people that are really, really smart are just like it's it's in uh there's an intensity to that being surrounded by people who are so so bright um which is very inspiring and i love that um but then in order to and and i some some of the people that come in through the group i came in i came in through human-centered design or ux design and many of the people that come in that way consider ux designers as like enabling the brilliance of the, the people, the other people that work there. So you're kind of staying on, you're staying on your side of the glass, watching all the brilliant people do their thing um, and kind of helping them from over here. Over here. And I never felt that I, from right away. I felt like, okay, I can, I can pull my weight conceptually here. I just need to learn the language. I need to get enough domain understanding and context that I can, I can play. But it was kind of, it's kind of like at first in these like big group collaboration discussions that happen when you're developing a, a mission, like it's kind of, it would be kind of like if you tried to like jump in on a basketball game, but you didn't know how to play basketball yeah, and, sure. and, every, and everyone else is in the NBA and you just get like, <laughs> like you, you kind of know to shoot and you, and yeah. you demonstrated that you can, and then you, you can you maybe shoot get, a three kinda, pointer once in a while. Now, now you're in a yeah. room full of people that, that can just hit him a thousand. Yeah. Percent. And then you, you get the ball and you're like, Oh no, what do I do now? And then right. you, just, you, you drop it or you miss the, the net and then they just like mow you over and keep going. Yep. And then you just like pull, pick yourself up and you just 
plunk yourself down. But it's kind of good in a way that that way though, isn't it? Because because I, I every time I was in situations like that, for I, I I also always had the, the fortune of being in a room full of those people that 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 were always to didn't want to kick me off to the side of the road. They were always like, yeah. you just got to catch up, man. Just catch up. Yeah, I, I was. You'll be fine. Was, just catch up. Yeah, I, I, I was. Um, when I was doing those civic data projects, um, I was working on two projects that were funded by um, a really terrific funder, the, the Knight Foundation, and it was called the Knight News Challenge. And they had all these brilliant projects from all over the world that they funded, and two that I was on were were, were part of this. And they would bring us together every year and kind of give us like goodness to help us do our work better. And one year they brought us to Silicon Valley and had a bunch of um, Silicon Valley um, visionary people come and talk to us. So, so, so you guys got to go on the show, right? The TV, TV show. You're on the TV well, this, show. No, this, this was before that. I'm kidding. It was before. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and, and someone who was one of the key founders of one of the big startups. Sorry, I, for, I, I honestly, I forget which one it was. It was one of the big ones. It might've been Twitter, but I'm not sure. But someone who, someone who was like one of the beginning people in one of these really amazing places that changed how we communicate one of those. And in he, he, he said this thing that really stuck with me. He was just like, uh, whenever I'm in a room full of people and I'm the smartest person in the room, I know I'm in danger. That is Word not, up. Yeah, that is not Word a good place for me to up. be. Um, yes. And I just really spoke to me. So I was just remembering that a lot when I w- was starting to work at JPL. It's like, this is a good thing. <laughs> you may feel like you, you can't, you can't hold your own even for a second, but this is a really, really good thing. And then it's I a just really kept, good, it's a good place yeah. to be, right? Yeah. So I just kept trying. I kept learning, kept studying. I kept until I started to have some traction and have valuable ideas. And then I started actually delivering things that became incrementally more useful and then it, it's taken me about five years now where, yeah. and that's, how, that's just how long it took at a place where the context is as large and complex as JPL and where there was learning a new field, which I've done several times over working in UX, that's what you do. And you learn how to do that. It's kind of like being a journalist, right? You, you learn a f- field to design for it, to design a solution. So this, this field was just much more, it just, it's just much more effort to learn enough to be really effective than previous ones I've worked in. Um, but it, it, so it just took longer. So now I'm there now. I'm actually really, yeah. I, like I, I just, yeah, I just interviewed for a job like a, I didn't get it, but I interviewed for an internal role recently, like actually like last week, um, that, um, where I was a serious being seriously considered for a critical systems engineering role. Um, so what is what does that project. what does that mean? What what's what is a critical systems engineer as opposed to a Sarah engineer? Um, a Sarah engineer. Well, I'm, you know, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, like what what kinds of things does a critical systems engineer work on? Like, well, no, what I mean is flight systems, is, ground systems, or um, I can't say specifically what it is. Okay, understood, um, understood. But, um, but it was, it yeah, was I like, know, I know. I, I as I was watching that presentation, that like that was going through my mind because because. I remember Michael saying that. But it's like that you, a part of the system sure that, that is that is critical, that is very needed for the system for a new mission. Um, Say no more. And and being being the 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 delivery the person responsible for it being delivered basically. So um, you have to. It's basically like having very good project management skills. Sounds like it. Sounds combined like with it. technical skills, and that's what Anu does. Anu is a project manager. That's what he does for a living. That's awesome. As do you. 
I, I have a question. Well, on that note, you know, there's so clearly there's there's a whole lot of brain cells in the room and I'm swarming <laughs> my own sort of intelligence at this moment. Oh, stop. I'm in the right place, stop as it. Sarah would say. But I have a question about to Sarah about you know, kind of on the on the note of uh, music, mindfulness and madness. So there's the music is really yeah. like the art. The mindfulness, yeah. uh, I'm curious, do you practice meditation and, and has that been helpful in your creative and your scientific uh, endeavors in the world? Um, I do. I meditate twice a day um, when I wake up and when I go to sleep. And that does help me a lot. Um, it helps me just have faith. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it helps me. It helps me have faith in like that. I don't have to figure it out. That something something interesting is happening, and I just have to kind of follow along and um, trust the process, mm. which really helps for, for me being in really new environments um, where there's a lot of learning and um, a lot of also just like, oh, am I capable of this? I don't know. Um, the, the regular meditation and just having curiosity and um, just focusing on the process um, really helps me in, in especially, I mean, it has for most of my, like most of my working life, but it's been very helpful since I've been at JPL, especially. Um, I even had a, um, through a mentor, a mentor gave me a, um, a, uh, kind of a meditation practice to do when I was new at JPL, which was like, I, 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 uh, um, she asked me to write down a list of all the reasons why I'm awesome at work. And that's great. Oh, <laughs> I know. No, 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 no. That's not the end of no, the story. I would just, I, if I'm just saying that if that was me, I would say, fuck no. <laughs> Is there something else I, I mean, can I, do? You, because you, I don't, I'm, you're I didn't that, have to. I, I didn't have to tell that. anyone. I didn't have to tell anyone. It was. Just oh, you didn't write okay. it down. I right. mean, I ended up telling telling it to her, but it didn't. It wasn't. It was just for me. Just like, okay, if I'm really honest, what are the things people appreciate about me? Well, then, and, then and what, it didn't come naturally to write it down. What did the person want you to do with it when you were done? Um, once I was done, and because I tend to be uh, a bit of a Type A type person, um, no surprise, there were like 35 things on the list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then she's like, "Okay, now um, spend a week, and in your ma- in your daily meditation, meditate on the first one, and spend a whole week just meditating on the first one, and then the next week on the second one." I think I think just you just do- gave me an assignment. It was really really helpful. It it took me three times through the whole list to start to really put a proper dent in my imposter syndrome. So you really? Yeah, yeah. I but need it, to try. It worked. I need really to try helped. this, Sarah. I need to it was great. This. It was really great. Because I meditate every day too, I, but I don't do anything like that. That's great. It, it, it helped me. I, re, I mean, kind of musing on the thing during my week as well, because I'd been meditating on it in the morning, you know, um, like during the day, just considering it like, um, oh yeah, I do. I do really listen well and like re, kind of like deep listen and kind of articulate back what people have said. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for example, I, I don't know. I think that was probably one of them. I I don't remember now, but I think that probably was. So then just think about the thing over your course of your day. Oh, look at me. I'm doing that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. I do do that. 
yeah. you know? <laughs> it's yeah. Really, really admirable. I, I'm just trying to think about how I could, I, I would, I'd probably have to talk to my therapist about it a few times before I came up with something. I mean, whatever you got to do. Uh, yeah. I don't, <laughs> it, it, it sounds like a really good exercise though. It was, I, I squirmed a lot. I didn't want to do, I, boy, did I not want to write that list. I didn't, but, I don't, yeah. I don't want to, as soon as you said that, I, I physically curled up. Yeah. Please, nobody asked why, me. To why do didn't it. you want to write the list, Sarah? Me? Yeah. Why didn't you want to do it? Um, because I felt like an asshole. <laughs> I felt like I was be bragging. Um, yeah. And I was feeling, at the time, I was feeling very overwhelmed. And so it, it was forcing me to not feel like, oh, poor me, I'm so lost. You know, um, it's like, all right, you have your. Yeah, I guess in a, in a way, the person was yeah. trying to get you to think about the things that what your superpowers are. That, right. that maybe yes. other people in the room might not necessarily have. And that's, it sounds like I could tell just from your presentations that, that, that these were things that you recognized pretty quickly that, that there were things like when you, I, I, I would even venture to guess that when you got in a room with those JPL people, you immediately began to realize the things that you could, the way your brain worked, um, how the way your brain works could help enable the other people in this room to, to do things or to think about things in a different way, I guess. I could, I saw glimpses of it, but um, it was so different than like working in tech, the way that ideas are expressed and the way things are planned. Um, Can you give an example? Little... Is, are you, are you allowed to give an example? Can you think of one? Um. Like, for example, one of the working groups I was in was figuring out a process design for how a team of operators are going to um, plan for the Europa mission to um, do science on 46 orbits around um, the moon Europa. Um, now, when you talk about operators, you're talking about like the, the people actually sitting with eyes on the screen. Yeah, who are like seeing what happened, what happened the, during the last orbit what are we and, and collaborative collaboratively planning between the the operation staff who are putting stuff into the tools to tell the the spacecraft what to do and then all the different teams of scientists whose instruments are on the spacecraft who want to do their science um and that there's scientific terminology there's terminology about the the orbital dynamics that's going on um like for example there's a word called there's a term epic time keep saying like epic time, um, which E-P-O-C-H, which is basically time that's relative to an, an event. Oh, so like, epo right. As, as, as an epoch. Well, I, I just I always say epoch. Ep yeah, epoch. it's pronounced epic. epic. Is yeah, it? And, yeah. Um, I've been saying it wrong for years. Thanks for that. <laughs> sure, yeah. So they'd say, say like, epoch. that's just an example, but there's like every, like eight out of 10 words out of people's mouths were all concepts that were new to me that were specific to domains of orbital dynamics, science, uh, spacecraft engineering, um, uh, and mission operations planning. Um, okay. And, and um, there's like complex mathematical simulation that goes into the planning. And so there's just like even figuring out what, what can I know? What is just terms I can learn? What are like new kinds of concepts that I 
want to learn what are things that are just different versions of what I've already seen before in a different context. Like just even parsing all of those things out from each other took a lot of time. I'll bet. Um, I'll bet. But but I did it, and now I can be in a in a like now I have a, I have a job right now where I have the title of systems engineer, and my job is to be in the operations for the live. Mars mission and help evaluate how that all the people doing their jobs in all these different very technical areas could collaborate more more even better with each other to make make the work smoother and faster um and in order to do that i have to actually understand to a pretty decent level what a person is actually doing <laughs> so i can see then oh well if you can just coordinate more in this one bit with this other person here then this part will go smoother or this data set is not coming to the team fast enough for this, this, and this reason. So, so now I actually have a job where it's, it's my job to be that person to understand key things about a lot of different things to make the whole operations process go faster. So, and, and I, I just can do that now. I does if there's no, Oh gee, could I, it's, it's uh, I just have enough context built now and I've practiced learning new things there now enough that I just know that, that I can, I can do it. Um, So so you don't just wander through, you don't wander through the halls are going like, what y'all doing in here with your space toys and your science projects. And then they tell you and you go, Oh, and you take some notes and then you come back and go, Oh, this is how all this shit works. And then you put it together. (laughs) It doesn't sound, that's my distilled version well, to, to, to oh. me, so so something, so so when when I became a, a tech lead for the first time, one of the things that jumped out to me about being it's it very much a lot of the things you're talking about, a lot of the things that that I came to realize interacting with people as a technical lead. Yeah. And the epiphany that I had is, oh, this is just like being in a room at band practice with a bunch of guys and going and 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 understanding how they play. And going, okay, now that I know that you play that way, why don't you try doing this thing? And now that I know how you play drums, maybe you could try this thing that's kind of like the thing you're used to doing, but um, has this little extra thing that I'm thinking you could do too. And and it, it started to feel like like that to me. That, I mean, now it's, that, that was the place that I was able to come from. It, was, it just felt like being in a room with a band. Yeah, and as soon cool. as I understood how the rest of the band members worked, then, then it, it, everything kind of snapped into focus and it got to be easy. And you could decide whether there's more, you need more castanets or more cowbell. More castanets. Or more, yeah. yeah. I, have, I, 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 have have couple, I have a couple other <laughs> questions too. Now, like I, Sarah and I have talked quite a bit about, you spend a lot of time in nature as well. Would you yeah. consider that a meditative practice or just, you know, I know it's great self-care, but, um, and, and I've also seen some of your art that has come as a result of some of that stuff too. Um, do you maybe want to talk a little bit about that for your your art process? Or is that, would you have to kill me if you told me about that too? Is that? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing um, top secret about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I found like part of, part of having a lot of my intellectual and creative um, interest really satisfied from my t- time during the day at my job at JPL. I found that I, I want to spend my free time a little differently. Um, and I, I also really need to decompress 
and get out of my head. And um, I found hiking has been really helpful for that. And I, it's, it's kind of meditative, but it's mostly like, um, it's mostly just uh, integrating what I've experienced and kind of getting out of my head and getting out through my body and then just getting to this totally neutral state after all of that, where I just feel really in the present again. And that's really, I've been doing more and more of that over time. Um, especially I started hiking a lot more during the pandemic. Um, and it was really therapeutic for me. It's, it's what kept me mostly sane. I won't say sane. I'll just say relatively sane <laughs> during, <laughs> during the pandemic. It was a real coping mechanism for me to get out in nature a lot. And I live right next to the edge of the San Gabriel mountains in Altadena. So which oh, is really, really terrific. I just have access to get up into the mountains uh, yeah. all, the, all the time. So part of the reason, well, first of all, you know, the re one of the reasons we started this podcast is because we like to just talk and talk and talk to each other all the time. We have a whole lot to say to each other, to you, and to <laughs> everybody in the world. And we don't know if it's valuable or not, but we're going to talk anyway. And part of the thing was, you know, like, these ideas or these abstractions come in, and there's a lot of room, it's a very porous sort of program for us, where we kind of start with a concept, most of the time, usually at the last fucking minute, but like, we try and like jump in today, we planned a bit for you. So thank you for that, bring a little focus to us. And, um, but this, this, uh, these ideas that like, you know, there's, there's all this stuff mo moving around. I mean, it sounds like you tap into this quite a bit in that abstraction of like, you know, you have a problem to solve. So you have an intention out there and like, okay, that's, that's, you know, well, I'll, in the language that you and I speak a lot of Sarah is like, there's the top of the mountain, you know, yeah. and I need, to, I need to go plant a flag up there because that's my mountain. And it's, I'm going to bring this team with me and we're going to do this. And like, how do I get all the, all the people to paint the fence at the same time so we can get ourselves up the hill. That was kind of a terrible analogy, but like, no, we, we were, no, that's in, in, in my world, we refer to that as a North star. What's the North star. Yeah. Right. So, so exactly, like, how yeah. we get up there? And so there's many, many paths and like being, being able to, I mean, it's that sort of, um, uh, confusion tolerance, you know, that, that how can I just sit with these ideas that don't seem to go together and let them sort of find their path. And like, we're, we're, you know, the antenna for it and the receiver. Um, and we're also transmitting the stuff too. And, and then piecing it all together as we go along and much like a producer is making a record, you know, and the artist may go like, well, I've got these song pieces started out and, um, or, you know, I have this show that I want to do much like your, your performance stuff where you've got, like, I've got these concepts and these, these tools and these parts and these ideas I want to put together. And, uh, and then you're just kind of like push off from shore and then you get started on like, well, what's the concept? Like, what is the, you know, there, where's the mountain that I'm going to plant the flag on and uh, being open to those ideas coming in. I mean, I, I know I use meditation a lot for that. And also I'm, I'm in and out of nature more and more because it really just kind of settles the nervous system down. And then I'm able to receive new things that, you know, outside of the normal day-to-day -day routine of life, which is kind of part of the, uh, the mindfulness part of the program, and including the madness of it, like there's 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 some there's some wisdom in the madness too, or like how can we include this in our program to to get us to where we need to go, you know? Because we're it sounds like we're all four of us are creatives at heart, 
And then uh, we, you know, you guys, you three especially are like in the technical world more and more. And like, how do we ground these things that it's going to like, you know, put somebody on Mars or put some technology out there in the world that's going to be useful. And um, I love that sort of high level creative stuff. And then how do we ground it in, you know, hands and feet, like doing the work to create something that's going to be helpful in the world? Because it sounds like this is all productive and not destructive. I mean, you got to destroy things along the way to have that. Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, if I could interrupt that, that, that the thing you were talking about, how, how when you have to take the, the, the presentations down, how you have to cut everything. I was listening to you talk about like, it's like, I, I just, I'm not careful about it. I just, I just, I just accept the fact that I, this got to be thrown away and I throw it away. Very much a, a thing with writing music too. You, you just have to accept. Sometimes you just, you write something. Um, well, I, and actually my day work too, it's, it's something that, that I talk to junior developers about that, the, the, the thing I always talk to them about, um, that the one cardinal rule they should stick to is just do your best work and do your best work knowing that tomorrow might get thrown away. Like you, you, yeah, it's just something you have to learn to, to accept. Like you, when you build well, this I mean, big body of work, get thrown away. we're, we're all just making the next layer of technological rubble that something sure. else is going to get built on sooner than we think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at, no, at, it was... At any scale you want to look at it. You get yeah. what I'm saying. But it's, you know, every... every it, it was it was nice to hear you say that. It was like, oh yeah, that's that's that, that's also something I ha- I, I'm i faced with having to do all the time. And I just got used to doing it. Just got I just learned to accept the fact that, uh, like, I, I've, I've told these guys the story of a bunch of times. I worked on something, I worked on a project for a year that got completely thrown away completely thrown away. The executive management stepped in and said, yeah, we're not going to need it now. Sorry. Threw it away. Yeah. But it, but it got you to the next point. I mean, that's it. Did, no, it did. It did. But like writing the process of rewriting. And so what? in the process of writing, you have to like write over what you wrote before because it, it still you- hurts, Michael. It still hurts. Yeah, it you hurts. Love it. You love it, it hurts to, it hurts to take down, take the, take the yarn off the wall. When you, you when you spend sixty hours putting the yarn up on the wall, it it, it stings a little bit, but you I get used to that, it. I just did that with one of the songs on my EP, and I talked to Anu about it, and I, I talked know. to UD about it, and I'm just yeah. like, this is not like the others, and I put it away, and I'm not sure what to do with it, but it's complete, and it is what it is. But I think I wouldn't have, without that piece and finishing it, I couldn't have just gone, oh, that doesn't fit, and then you take it off. You know, it's like patchwork along the way. No, no, I get all that, Mike. I get all that. It's just, it's purely, it's just the act of having to make that decision or just to sunset something that you know that you're never going to crack open again. It's so delicious, that pain though, D. I mean, no, it's not. Sometimes it isn't. (laughs) Well, anyway, I I wanted to just say, you know, like, uh, that's what I'm hearing in a lot of uh, what you're talking about, Sarah, is just really the, the abstractions and then all the sort of machinations of like, moving all these teams in a particular way and then all the problem solving, it sounds like it's all problem solving, but without the problems, you really don't have the path, you know, like it just seems like if I'm going to put a flag on top of that particular mountain, this is, this is my idea about it. And this is how it integrates with all the, the JPL and NASA folk as we move along. And then they have their own sort of, you know, very much, um, as you described it before, um, uh, you know, because it's a government organization, like they have to have a certain sort of hierarchy and sort of like boundaries about how they sort of manage things and 
talk about certain ideas and what's priority and what gets funded and what doesn't get funded and what gets chopped. And like, it seems like it's uh, the creative process all along the way would be painful for everyone involved, especially if you're deep inside of like, I'd be curious to hear if there was something that, you know, you had a project that you had worked on or an idea um, that got where they just went like, oh, we can't use this anymore. Or like it got us to a certain point and like, we have to put this one to rest so we can't use this for now. Or someone else's project. If you have some examples of that, I'd be curious about that. Because that, like D said, question. Know, is Good that question, Michael. painful thing of like, man, I did so much work on this and I want to see it come to fruition, but it doesn't serve the bigger mission. Do you have something like that that you could expound upon? I mean, that kind of thing doesn't happen generally in quite the same way. Mm. Um, you at, have to finish it. At, J, at JPL, as it does say, at, at like a, a technology company, for example, because oh. the, whole, the whole idea of like we're pivoting now and we have different priorities and it's in the best interest of the company to actually start over from scratch in this, this new area and not use all the work you just did, that kind of thing. Um, I did experience that more at Planet. Um, mm. That kind of thing doesn't happen as much at a place like JPL just because it's being done with public funding. So there's a lot of right. sense of responsibility right. responsibility right. To, to use the use the public's um, money in a conscientious way. Um, um, but there's there is also a lot of ex- because of um, Pretty much every mission at JPL is some sort of fundamental prototype. You know, it's like it's happening there because it it is a it is a one off in some way and it hasn't been done before. There's a lot of experimentation, so there's there's a lot of like built into the process a lot of like trying different things. Um, and well, and certainly within that process, there's a lot of try, fail, learn from the fail. Try again. Yeah. Try again. again evaluate fail. five different options. Right. And then see what see which one will be the best one. Things like that. Sure. That that does happen a lot. Um, the way that that particular idea, like, it often plays out in that if you finish one project, you you start a new project, and you have to also start completely from scratch. With it's almost like starting a new job because there's it's like the work there is all project based, so people are are regularly getting completely immersed in something, finishing it, and then starting completely over with mm. a whole new group of people at ground zero again on a whole new project. See, that's what I'm talking yeah. about, Michael. That's that, what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, that, that's that, that within that's JPL hard. that happened. That happens over, over and over for people at JPL. For for me, like, um, the, I ha- the example I have is, like, the first the first thing that, like, they let me actually do, like, <laughs> um, as opposed to saying, oh, we know you can do things. We're going to actually hire you to do something because you've shown that you can you have the skills that we need. It took, you know, it took a time to establish that there. The first project that I did, which was my first architecture project, was, was, um, was used as a, basically as a, a risk evaluation of an issue for a mission. And the thing that it was used for was just to like understand the characteristics of this particular design concern that they had for the mission. And so I did all this work full time for seven months and it was really exciting and uh, came up with this really, this idea I was really excited by with all this contributions from other people. And then it wasn't built. Um, mm. And, and, um, and I didn't really understand that that was the plan the whole time. It was like, 
it was like I was like oh but now we're gonna build it now and instead instead uh I did lots of documentation on it on what it what it described about what we need basically going through the whole process of making the design um got to the heart of some things about what we need and so I documented that in this formal way that that's documented there and then mm. that documentation was actually used to help a whole new software project that was done um uh that and then someone new came on to do that project and didn't literally build what I recommended, but did use all of my like used it more like source research sure. and then came up with this whole other idea that's almost like an exquisite corpse kind of thing where what this new person came up with was really interesting and great and like a, a next level beyond what I was thinking. So so it ended up being fine and and I've, I found actually and and this is really. Well, that's an easier thing to coexist with, right? It is. And, but, but then the other thing that happened, and I've seen this happen in various ways, especially also doing site-specific installation, because that's every time with a site-specific installation, you build something knowing that it's like doing, it's like doing a Tibetan sand painting, basically. You know you're going to destroy it as yeah. soon as it's done, basically. And right. that's part of it. You know, you just yeah, know you're right. just making something to just exist for a moment and then it's going to go away is you take, well, the thing I carry forward between installation projects and also I found going from that first architecture project to the next one um, at JPL is is like what I take with me is the 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 interesting question kinds of questions that I want to ask over and over that's something that really carries over as well as all, all the learning just carries over and I my process gets better each time too and and I just focus on that part um, yeah same yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have uh, to be doesn't have to be painful, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm I don't just saying. It, I'm just saying that sometimes I'm only saying that some. Yeah, I don't. Well, I'm only saying that that at, for <laughs> me at first sometimes it is, and and I and and I I went through one one very very painful one, um, that was really the thing that allowed me to bottom out and get to the place that that Sarah described. Um. Because you know it's it it's hard it's it's hard not to, um, you know I mean you know Sarah you 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 work on these things and you build them and and um and it's and I know for me like a lot of times it's 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 a life affirming thing it's it's the thing that confirms my existence my 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 place uh, wherever I am or the place here you know and um it's it's hard to not to to keep that in a sensible place and not feel like oh well this thing's going to go out in the world and and it's it's going to be great and I'm, I'm i'm helping people and then see and then have someone come to you and say yeah it's not going to happen yeah yeah it 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 i had to go through that a few times before i got to the place you're talking about mm. anu anu so I, I should I should apologize. Like Anu's Anu's a product manager. Just so you know, uh -huh. I, I kept hearing prod product manager when you said project. I'm sorry, Anu. Do you have anything? Uh, I have a, a short one and a long one. So I guess the short one is, uh, what kind of music do you like? Oh, good ah. one. Duh. Yeah, I heard I heard um, that you sing. Is that accurate? What? I, uh oh. Yeah, I, I sing. I do. I love blues and jazz. Um, I like singing blues and jazz. Um, 
like, what jazz people do you like? Um, I like um, uh, Billie Holiday. Um, Excellent. Um, Chet Baker. So good. So good. Um, West Coast. Miles. I love Miles Davis. I've seen him live. Have so you really? Yes. Did you see that? Oh. Um, did you see that documentary on him on Netflix? No, I did not. Uh, I probably watched no. it like five or six times now. It, uh, it's called "The Birth of the Cool" or something like that. It's really good. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, uh, in terms of listening, I like a lot of different kinds of music. Um, I like electronic music. I like um, pop. Um, I like alt country. Um, um, I like hip hop. Um, I don't know. Lots, of, lots of different kinds of music, I guess. Um, old country? Do you mean like? Uh, oh, alt, alt country, like alt country, alt, alt country, alt country, country like, Michael. Like I, th- I think like, you meant like eighteen hundreds. <laughs> ye old country, yeah. Yeah, Appalachian, um, you know, banjo. Oh, actually, I like that too. Like Appalachian folk music. Yes. Um, do you like Gillian Welch? I do. Yeah. Yeah, she's um, great. Yeah, love her. I I really like any music that has great bones, and really to the point, cut to the quick lyrics, in any in any genre. I love I love that. Um, yeah. What's your long question? Okay. On? Very, very helpful. The, the longer question was, I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about your, what it was like to be 15 years old and in college. It sounds like from, you know, you, you sort of sketched out your, um, your, your life fairly quickly for us. And one of the things yeah. that I imagine was difficult, even for someone as poised and, uh, uh kind of confident as, as you are, uh, a significant amount of culture shock from moving from a new age community into sort of America. Uh, but perhaps more to the point, like what was it like to be 15 years old and in college, were you actually like living at the university at that time and taking classes? I, it just seems to me like on the one hand, it would have been very exciting, but on the other hand, very lonely because there's a huge difference between being 15 and 18. Was it, was it being just like that kid on big bang theory? <laughs> was was it like young Sheldon? I, I mean, I, I actually, I, I, I mean, some... I do hate that show because it's so gendered. Like all the nerds are men. I just, I w- tried to watch one episode and I was oh, just like, that's true y'all. This is actually not the way it is. And I couldn't watch it. Um, but uh, that's all well, I have that, to say about so, that show. So, so um, well, in, in defense of the show, there, there's a girl on the show that is smarter than Sheldon. There's no defending that show. It's garbage. Oh, garbage. Okay. A lot of people well, love that show. But I watch like, it sometimes. I, a lot of people like a lot of terrible And there's things. there's a female character on the show who is smarter than Sheldon, and it always makes okay, me cool. crazy. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. That's good to know. I didn't know that. But, but I mean, what was it like? Um, well, I did, I did turn 16, uh, like maybe a month and a half into... So I was a little bit older then. Um, uh, I, when I left the commune, I, um, at the age I was, was really doing a lot of interesting things in the commune, as, as were the other teenagers. We were really kind of encouraged to, like we had just finished the, the, the teenage group, um, had just organized a national unemployment conference, for example. Um, 
Mm. Like we just were doing some really interesting things and were empowered and supported by the community too as young people. And I was probably the youngest on the tail end of this group of, 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 of young people. So I was, I was doing a lot less than many of the other people in the group, but nonetheless, like my world was very big. My sense of what I was capable of was fairly expansive. And then going from that to American high school, I just felt like my, the, the space I could inhabit in, in the world was, which just ranked so much. It was just very stifling for me and I was extremely unhappy. Yeah. And uh, I just really didn't feel like I could, could deal with that change. I was just, I was really, really unhappy. Um, um, and then we found out about this college and it's actually a college for non-traditional age students. So the, all the other students my freshman year were the same age as me and they were all having some version of that kind of experience. And so it was really like a coming together of kindreds going to like initially that first year. And it was also very experimental, like alternative kind of utopic little, little environment. And yes, I didn't, we all lived there. Um, and so it kind of just felt like more returning to the commune a little bit that first year. Um, but then after that, I transferred out to a regular four-year college um, to Mount Holyoke College in Western Mass. And that so from then on, I was Holyoke. From then on, I was I was younger. Than How I old were you at that point? Um, a year older. So I was. I started when I was seventeen. Six, sixteen, about to turn seventeen. Um, and I, I was younger than everyone. I did, I did kind of just alternate between hanging out with the freshmen who were closer to my age and then the people who were more my peers in class. Um, but, but honestly, it took me about, it took me about 10 years after that to kind of balance out and feel like I had a peer group. It took a very long time. Um, cause it was just very uneven. It was like, I would have intellectual peers and emotional pe- peers and peers for like having fun and peers. It was just very all over the place for, for quite a long time. And, and as a young person, you know, how young people tend to over traumatize things. I was very, I was very concerned with it also for, for a long time. <laughs> it's like, uh, it caused me a lot of, um, uh, worry, um, and identity questioning and stuff. But then by the time I got into graduate school, I was in, because I, I, I took two and a half years off. And so by the time I got into graduate school, I was the same age as, as the first year graduate students again. And so then things started to, to kind of get more normalized again. So that, that, that helped. But um, it did also give me a, a feeling of um, anything's possible that has very much stayed with me. <laughs> yeah which which is the huge upside of it um it was both challenging and also really it was it was a very good experience um mostly for me but that that part of it was that was definitely very challenging um yeah well it sounds like you had a pretty special opportunity at least that first year hanging out with other kids who were sort of at least in similar circumstances so you could be um uh, you know uh, you had had some kind of a peer group yeah. that shared that, that experience, which is a, a fairly unique one. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Are, are you still in touch with any of those folks? Would, would you consider that like a formative or important thing or in, in your life or. I'm still in touch with a couple of people from that time. Um, not too, not many. Um, mm. Yeah. That's super interesting. I'm, I was just thinking, I was just trying to learn Van Halen songs at that age. And that 
I'm going to say that's a product probably of the the U.S. Uh, you know school system. <laughs> you know, just like I would, I don't wouldn't say I grew up in a very expansive sort of like. There wasn't a lot of alternates. It was just sort of like you go to school. Here's the kind of school that you go to, and they maybe they were available, but I don't, I don't think you know my parents were interested in that. For me, they were just like, you got to do what we do to move along. And you said something I, interesting about that anything's possible. You had the yeah. thought that anything's possible at that age. And I was just like, I think a lot of kids have that growing up. And then it's slowly, at least in sort of modern Western world, it slowly gets squished out and you have to sort of like fit in. It sounds like you kind of went through that growing pain and like, and then found an, an out an outlet to move into something that was like, oh, these are more my people than what I got put into. But that idea of like that anything's possible, I think is super fascinating. And you're living in that world at, at uh, NASA, you know, JPL, um, where literally anything is possible. I mean, the, the amount of, yeah. the, I mean, yeah. the conversations you and I have about the scope of uh, thinking with the various, you know, situations you've, you've been in there. And I'm just always like, that sounds incredible. I mean, it just, you know, that expansiveness and the spaciousness, which I, I get a lot from meditation too, but not at the level that you're living at, which is pretty incredible. I, I was going to ask you too, um, what the thing, is there anything that you're most proud of at your, uh, your work with uh, uh, JPL? Something you could talk about and not have to like have us killed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really the, the thing I'm most proud of is, is contributing my design for Science Intent. Like it's mm. a completely new way of, of capturing why we're doing the science that we're doing. Um, that, they that, that, that was part of that IO presentation, right? You talk about that a no, little bit. I did that one, I no, I did that one afterwards. That's, what the, that's the topic of the Ground System Architecture Workshop. Um, that's where I saw, yeah. I, yeah. I watched them both very quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw you talking about um, that. Yeah, so that is, is something that is really unique that I contributed to the Mars mission, and they're using it every day. And, it's, mm. and the, the, the metadata for all the science rationale is going to be there also in the public public archive of all the, the images that come down, all the data that comes down. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really proud of that and really excited about having had the opportunity to do it and come up with something that was useful and it's really helped help the science team. Yeah. Well, you should be. It was impressive to watch that presentation. That's got to feel you. pretty amazing to, to have that embedded in into the world, but also into space, like the the universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about it does, a much yeah. bigger conversation <laughs> where you're like, yeah, I did something nice on Earth, but it's like, now it's in space. We're putting people on Mars. We're putting technology. We're bringing science. It's just, it's mind-bending to me. That's what I, I love so much she, about it. She's going to be part of the X-Men and going to be doing X-Men <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's next level. I'm going to I'm gonna make some calls. See if I can make that Ex happen. For you, so. But it's. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> Dangerous missions, but like that's really incredible. I mean, it's I'm I'm just so I'm so happy that you're my friend, Sarah, and that you agreed to be on the show. And like, I was telling these guys about you a long time. Me ago, too, like, boy. You need to get her on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank I'm you. Like, I can't get her to do anything, but I'm going to ask her. I now. hey, I was the one that kept. <laughs> I was one of the people that kept saying, "We got where's Sarah? We got to get Sarah on the show. I want to meet Sarah." Where's, where's that Sarah? I'm like, I'm like she's a grown ass human. She's going to say yes or no. And it's up to her. So yeah, it was really great. I'm just so happy you came on the show. And, and um, yeah, if you're, 
open to coming back. I'm, I know. I sure would like to have you back sometime. A thousand more questions. To come back. No. A thousand more questions. Um, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to come back another time. Awesome. Oh, that'd be great. We could talk yeah. about art specifically. I'd love to see. I still I want to see more of your art. And um, if you have video footage of stuff too, I know you oh. you kind of sort of archival stuff as well, you know, for your past pieces. So Yeah, that reminds me, you 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 touched a little bit on on so are you working on anything now? And how do you and you 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 touched on this a little bit very early on. Are you working on anything now? And how do you how do you how do you manage and parse that? with the day gig because that's something that, that we talk um, about and we, we struggle with a lot we, i think we, we've actually devoted entire episodes to it i could talk about it i would say that i i texted michael that i do need to wrap up around one so oh okay okay yeah, uh, yeah. Next, time. next time oh i just got it sorry yep yeah, next time next time we need to get out of here then Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you so thank you. I really enjoyed it. And really great to meet you, Dee and Ani. <laughs> it's nice to meet you too. Yeah, thanks for having me. Off, we, do, we do one thing at the end where we pull up a card from this uh, Brian Eno card set. Oh, yeah. We do the oblique strategies. No, I could, you do oblique strategies. Yeah, I have. A, I have yeah. That yeah. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> told you. So do you, do you have time to do this? We're going to do it. We'll do it real quick. We'll do um, real sure. Quick. We do it real quick. Okay. I can do it. Yeah. All right. All right. You guys ready? We're ready. Okay. Drum roll. Click. And we just hold it up to our screen. I can barely read it. Uh, You're muted, D. I'm on mute. Sorry. Michael's got not building a wall, but making a brick. Yeah. Anu's got discover the recipes you are using and abandon them. I like that one. Uh, mine on a similar theme, discard an axiom. Again. What do you got, Sarah? Awesome. Oh, I don't have I don't have the deck. Oh you don't oh no. Okay. I'm gonna pick one for you real quick. Okay. Yours is cut a vital connection. A vital Sarah. connection. Okay. Cut a vital connection. Oh, goodness. That's your message Dramatic. for today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for sticking around. So I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know. Sorry. Thanks for That's sticking okay. around. Love Thank to have you, you back. We'll yeah. Let you, um, back. <laughs> yeah. We'll Thank let you. you go. And have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you. You too. You too. Okay. See ya. All right. Bye. That was pretty neat, amigos. We're still alive, by the yeah. way. All good. Yes. Wow. She's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty fortunate. I get to talk to her a lot. She's awesome. So what a what a wonderful person and a really interesting combination of the some of the things that we talk about on the podcast a lot, which is that uh, fundamentally creative but tempered with various kinds of practices and discipline to get things done. Um, and uh, like us, someone who is balancing her creativity with uh, some more pragmatic needs or, or different kinds of work. Um, obviously very bright as well and uh, a real interesting background. Yeah, yeah she's, she's a neato, neato human being for sure. Um, I agree. 
more to come. Well, I'm glad she said yes. I agree. She has said no. I, I would have been. Oh, so sad. I fucked up. I was I was kind of preoccupied in the beginning because I was trying to trying to get the the, the Facebook stream going. I I yeah, I watched her stuff all the way up to the start of this, and and uh, normally I take about ten minutes prior to to do it, and and I got in here. I was so excited about talking to, to her that I was like, oh shit, I didn't start it. But the Twitch That's one right. is still there. All right, it's still there in other places. Well, another great episode. Thank you so much, um, gentlemen. Great, thoughtful questions and uh, a little Van Halen thrown in for good measure. And um, sure, I, I think that's it. I'm just going to hang up on you guys now and get to editing. Find us. Oh, we got to uh, do our uh, our sponsor bit. Uh, any of you guys want to do the pronouncement? Uh, is there a new uh, offer that I should read the, or is it just uh, our usual? I, I haven't seen any. I, I would just say I would say just do the regular one. All right. Uh, well, uh, Music Mindfulness and Madness is partially sponsored by Instacart. Instacart, get groceries or other things delivered in about an hour. Uh, you can find a link uh, for this fantastic service that will bring you whatever you want, whether it's jet fuel or art supplies or jet fuel. guitar string. Sure, whatever you need jet fuel? for rocket fuel, whatever you need to Rock, get into rocket space. Rocket fuel. Uh, they've they've got well, it, and they can now. Get now see here, I'm a, I'm a rocket fuel huffer. What does a guy got to do to get some rocket fuel? We're not going to condone uh, that sort of behavior <laughs> on the show, e, especially you live in Portland. I'm pretty sure that you can get all sorts of legal substances delivered by other services to your door in about an hour. Also, sure, but, uh, Instacart. Uh, you can find it uh, on our website. Go look under the sponsors tab. And thanks for being here, everybody. Yeah. And if you're interested in more about JPL, you can also get, if you want JPL and Black Magic, you can get the book uh, Sex and Rockets by uh, about Jack Parsons and his participation with Alistair Crowley and his early stages in uh, South Pasadena trying to set off rockets, which is uh, mostly factual. Anyway, little tidbit of information on history there of JPL, Jack Parsons Lab, perhaps. Nice or pull. Jet Propulsion Lab. Which is nice it? Pull, it's the Jet Propulsion Lab, I'm I, pretty sure. I, I, need to, I need to see this book. Yeah, it's pretty scandalous. Pretty scandalous. Yeah. Anyway, we'll leave you with a little bit of drama there. And um, thanks for showing up, everyone. Thanks for bringing curiosity and wonder to our world. And we'll catch you, you can, uh, next episode. Sorry, you can find us on the Facebooks. Normally, we do the live stream thing. I, I, I was so excited about meeting Sarah Schnatt that uh, I didn't start it this time. <laughs> but uh, you know, you can find us on the on the Facebooks, on the Twitch, on the YouTubes. Uh, we stream there. You can find us at musicmindfulnessmadness.com. Don't Fine. forget musicmindfulnessmadness.com slash Instacart for all your Instacarty needs. That's right. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.